Welcome to The Future Built Smarter, a podcast in which IMEG engineers discuss innovative and trend-setting building and infrastructure design with architects, owners, and others in the AEC industry. I'm your host, Joe Payne, back with my co-host, Mike Lawless. Mike, how you been? Oh, great. Great. Good topic today. And I think, you know, Joe, the question for you will be, are you using chat GPT to write any summaries of these podcasts? <laughs> so far, no, but I might have to give it a shot. <laughs> Speaking of which, today's topic is AI and its impact on the design profession. Our guest is Michael Kilkelly, a member of IMEG's internal technical operations team, where he designs and develops custom software for the firm's structural engineering group. He's also a registered architect with a master's degree from MIT and is the founder of the blog ArcSmarter, which helps architects, engineers, and contractors work smarter, not harder, in Revit. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. You bet. And, you know, you you recently wrote an article on this very topic about AI and the uh, impact it might or could have on the on the design profession. And you talked to a lot of people for that article. And I know you talked to architects and engineers on a daily basis. What is the sense that you're getting from them when they when they think about this? Are they are they nervous? Are they excited? Uh, where are they? Yes to both. It's I think the knee jerk reaction is, you know, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want the robots to take my job. But then as people start using it, and I think ChatGPT really opened people's eyes to this where they could actually use AI and then start to see like, oh, okay, I I could use it in this this, you know, application. I could use it to uh, transcribe my podcast, you know, uh notes and and show notes and things like that. And so I think as people use it, they realize, you know, that there are some unfounded fears there and that uh, there's skill that's involved in doing it. Um, and so you, you get a little bit of both. I, but I do think there is that initial reaction, you know, no, it's bad. And then, oh, wait, no, this is actually really useful. Yeah, yeah. What are people really kind of concerned about? What's what, When you talk to folks, what's the main sort of concern or group of concerns they have? So there's the fear before you use it. And then there's the fear after you use it. So the fear before is that it is a replacement. Like it's going to do things, you know, that I do. and so. What am I going to do for a livelihood? Um, and then as you use it, you realize like, oh, it's actually potentially going to make stuff up. Um, and that's a, a legitimate concern with a lot of this technology. Um, and I've experienced that firsthand where it just made completely fabricated something. And so I think that the concern once you've actually used it is that uh, either it's it's going to generate kind of false information um, or, you know, there's with some of the the kind of image-based AI that it's going to be used for kind of nefarious purposes. Um, so there is, I think you, there is kind of a whole swirling pool of, of fears in there. And it really depends on, as you get more experience with the technology, uh, those fears kind of evolve a bit. Anytime we, you have new technology, it's, it's scary for some people, but it, when we're talking about architects and engineers, you know, what do they think, you know, what do they see as the things that they're going to be able to do better, how they might be able to have a bigger impact because they are utilizing, you know, AI? I know at least on the sort of architectural design side, there's a lot of interest in generative design. And there's a couple of uh, software applications that I mentioned in the article that are doing just that. So TestFit is one of them where you can generate um, 
multifamily layout, like multifamily building layouts and um, and parking layouts and, and things like that. So you can put in some parameters and it's going to generate an optimum fit. Uh, Arc is another software that's doing that as well. It's focused on specifically New York City uh, because there's requirements for that. So using it as as a guide in the design process, I mean, that's one area where I think there's there's a lot of interest, particularly if you can roll in things like building codes and zoning and and information, you know, uh, information dense sources that can then be kind of played out as you're going through the design process, and and those could be used as constraints. So that's one area. Um, another area I mentioned, I thought this was really interesting. Um, this was Perkins and Will, and they were using AI, it actually was a series of AI tools together. So they were listening. So they had client meetings and particularly with clients who weren't maybe weren't good at imaging, generating images. So you can, you know, imagine somebody um, who understands the operation of their, of their company or their organization, but they may not be able to kind of visualize how something would look. So they're in a, in a design meeting and this system that they had put together would listen into the meeting and transcribe the spoken text and then use that to generate prompts in an image-based AI system that would then create images based on what what the participants were saying and that they could then react to you know so if you were if they were trying to say we want you know this particular uh, reception area you know in our hospital to evoke feelings like this it could start to generate some imagery um, that I thought was really interesting because then it becomes an aid to that person. It's enhancing their abilities. They they can talk about what they want. They may not be able to visualize it, but then they can react to something that's being visualized. I guess in some ways, Michael, in that case, they're using the AI. Both cases, they're doing generative design where they're, they're coming up with multiple sort of options that then can be optimized. And, and you can look at constraints. In one case, it's a what's really neat is that they're able to use people are able to use their own words, describe what they want to describe. Hey, I want a four story building and it it gives it to them. And then they look at it and go, well, maybe I want a six story building, you know? So some of this is, I don't know how important are the constraints when you talk about generative design. Um, But I think that that's kind of tech, like that interface is really the, the important piece where you can, you know, I can interact with, this system in a way that's very familiar to me. And that seems to be um, really one of the, the breakthroughs because, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot in, in the AEC industry about data and having access to data and using data to make decisions, but there hasn't really been a good way to be able to ask that data questions. And so if you have a system, and I know we're doing this at IMAG now with, with some of our technical uh, documentation where I can just ask it a question and it will give me an answer based on our our in-house data, our in-house uh, you know um, knowledge base. And it's not Google, like it's not a search, but it's going to answer a question that I have. And so I, that I think has been really kind of revolutionary in the sense that it allows people to to engage with it in a way that's very user friendly. Is is that kind of related to in that article you mentioned um, prompt engineering? Yeah. So prompt engineering is is really the the art of extracting usefulness out of these these engines. And I think uh, there is, and it is really 
it's an art and a science in that you need to understand the system itself, but then be able to kind of tease out of it. And and a lot of like ChatGPT, for example, is in a lot of ways it's a black box, meaning that the the creators of it don't even necessarily know what it's gonna come up with and they can't always predict. So being able to kind of tease out or finesse out useful feedback from it um, is really an art. And as you you know, you can imagine it's an in-demand skill now as more and more people are incorporating it. Um, some of the prompts, you know, they can get get to be quite, you know, elaborate and detailed. Um, and I know again with some of our the in-house systems we've been experimenting with, you, you're sort of preloading, you know, in the prompt some of the data that you then want to search through. And so it it's not so much like what words do I need to string together, but it's, you know, that's part of it, but it's also what context do I need to provide it with? What guardrails do I need to provide it with so it doesn't veer into imaginary land? Because I think right now you can ask sort of similar questions and get different responses. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And and it will make stuff up. Uh, I had an example recently where I was, I was trying to solve a, a coding problem and I put it into you know chat GPD just to see what would come up. And it gave me this great answer. So I copied and pasted it, put it into my code editor. And it was like the part that I thought, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know you could do this. And it turns out you can't because it was completely fabricated. So it had made up code um, that didn't exist. So, you know, that it will generate things. And 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 I think you're right, Mike. If I had done a different prompt or tried it at a different time, I'd get you know, a different imaginary code. Slightly, yeah, slightly different answer. So, yeah. so there's sort of the, the question that I think t- comes up with all this too. So, you know, our clients who are, you know, in your, your uh, example on the voice part are, you know, speaking into basically a generative sort of process or, you know, a more typical architects or engineers using generative processes. What's the benefit to the, to the owner of that building? What, what do they, what do they see? as a result of using this kind of technology on their project? I think there's there's a bunch of different ways we could look at it. I mean, one is that ideally it's going to make the process more efficient because you're, you're going to be able to just work more productively. Uh, I do think too, and, and we've spoken about this, Mike, quite a bit, is just being having access to sort of historical data could, could be really beneficial. So, we're working on collecting project data. Having an interface to be able to ask questions of that data is is really the the important piece. So, uh, if we can then go through efficiently, if the engineer at their desk can go through and ask questions, what did we use on this particular project, or what is the, you know, what is our our average output, or any kind of question that they can then feel confident that they're going to get a, a good answer, um, it's going to be more productive. But as well, because they're not going to be searching through old projects or asking people, uh, but they will have that that historical sort of database um, readily accessible. And then, if we were to look at things like generative engineering, um, you know, looking at say duct routing, where we could do an op- what's an optimal duct routing that's going to use the least amount of ducts but provide, you know, match the target CFM or something like that. So being able to use systems that could generate you know, hundreds of options, and then from them, be able to determine what what is the optimum based on our particular criteria. Ultimately, the product, the end product, the end building will be better. Right. A lot of times, 
now the optimization is the is based on experience of the people doing the the project right. and what they've seen and and how they see they can optimize it and the the opportunity here is to use the prompts and the the data to optimize it in a way that experience maybe can't quite get it quite as good as as what you can get with all that data and iterations that the computer can do for you yeah and and also like you you know you have your experience i have my experience and but you can you can tap into the collective experience of the organization you know like how many projects have we done like and and then be able to mine that couple that though so you have that capability to do it if you were then put it in the hands of somebody who does have a lot of experience and maybe with a little bit of training and prompt engineering they can then augment their experiences because they they have a very like solid understanding of of principles so they could start to kind of tease out some additional insights so they could grow their experience um, even further there's a couple of quotes in that article that i think kind of really uh point to what we're talking about here and one i think mike i think this was something you said in the article it said augmented intelligence instead of thinking it as artificial intelligence mm. right so that i thought was was kind of hit the nail on the head um the other thing was this was a this one i really like too is uh someone said ai is like the iron man suit oh sure it's great but you still need tony stark in there to work it yeah that's a great quote yeah, and I think in in that way, if you have that experienced engineer who has this this Iron Man suit of tools, uh, you know, it's it's pretty pretty formidable, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I think all this points to there's some really you know we're at the beginning of this, and there's some pretty exciting things we're going to be doing, you know, sooner rather than later. And your you know your example of us giving our engineers access to our internal databases through a you know a chat bot. I mean, those are those are things that folks can do now. I guess as we kind of wrap this up, Michael, as you think about like 10 years from now, you know, what, mm. what's that look like? Any, any kind of thoughts on that, you know, future, future state we might end up at? Yeah. I, I think the, you know, the idea of having your own kind of personal copilot is a, is a term that gets used quite a bit. Um, and there's a lot of tools that are using that co-pilot. Um, internally, we were starting to talk about sidekicks, but I think that that you're going to have um, a sort of virtual AI assistant who is going to kind of work with you on, on a fairly regular basis. And, and there's that augmented piece who that will probably do two things. One, learn about you and then be able to you know, assist you as you're going through kind of your professional activities and then learn from those as well. So I feel like that's we're that seems well within reach, you know, and that that will be um, a tool that we'll use quite a bit. And then ideally that's something that can then interface with, you know, other tools and other assistants, other people's assistants as well. So that everybody has this kind of virtual AI slash, you know, assistant who is, who is working with them. And I think too, that the idea of having a mechanism through which you can get data and a- ask it questions in a, a normal way, that's not going to require all sorts of you know, connecting different databases and, and things. I feel like we're, the data is there or we're collecting the data, but having that means where we can go in and, and ask of it. I feel like that's going to get potentially easier um, 
simply because tools like this are going to require a certain kind of standardization, you know, so that there is incentive to to work within, you know, systems that play nice together. I mean, I think we're all excited about being able to ask questions of, of our databases in ways that you're really only limited by your sort of uh, imagination. Right. And, yep. and two, I'm excited to have a, a virtual assistant because then if they can help with some of these other tasks, that just gives us all opportunities to do sure. other things and have more of an impact with our clients. So I think it's, I don't know, it's a pretty exciting future. It is. Yeah. Provided they don't, you know, take over. And <laughs> <laughs> There's always that risk. There's always that risk. Right. As long as we can always just aren't replaced on the podcast, right, Mike? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a really good conversation. Uh, Michael, I really appreciate you joining us here today. Thanks for having me. You bet. Listeners who would like to read a chat GPT summary of this podcast uh, can uh, look at the IMEG website, go to the Insights tab, and uh, scroll down to podcasts, and you'll find a summary here of today's show that I will feed the uh, the speech-to-text uh, generation from this uh, podcast app into it and just kind of see what happens. And, and uh, maybe I'll use it, maybe I won't, but I'll let you know which version it is. We'll also include a link to uh, Michael's recent article that appeared in Smart Buildings Technology Magazine on this very topic. We'll be back with another episode in the near future. Until then, thanks for listening and take care. Mm-hmm.